Hello and welcome. It's Thursday, December 15th, and you're listening to Arizona's News Roundup, the weekly podcast that gets you caught up on the biggest stories in the state on your time. I'm your host, Taylor Kinnerup, breaking news editor here at KTAR News. On this podcast, we're breaking down all the top stories happening right now to keep you in the loop on all things Arizona. We also look ahead at what's to come to make sure you know what to keep an eye out on until our next episode. For this week, we're breaking down the miraculous recovery of a Phoenix police officer, Tyler Maldivon, one year after being shot in the line of duty, and where we stand on the aggregate expenditure limit for Arizona school funding. But first, we have to start with a truly heartbreaking story that KTAR has followed from the beginning. Jesse Wilson was a 10-year-old boy who deserved the best in life. This week, Buckeye police made an arrest in the case of a missing 10-year-old boy, Jesse Wilson. This was a story that rocked the valley years ago, so let's go back to the beginning. In 2016, 10-year-old Jesse was reported missing by his adoptive mother. Reports surfaced that he had snuck out of his room on the second story of his home. Police treated it as a runaway case because the boy's adoptive mother told investigators that he suffered from, quote, learning and developmental issues, end quote, and was taking medication for it. However, many local outlets reported anecdotes of abuse within Jesse's adoptive home. While community members and Buckeye police continued the search, there were few updates in the case, until two years later. In early 2018, a call to Buckeye police reported bones on a farm near State Route 85 and Broadway Road. That's just six miles from Wilson's home. Originally, people didn't think the remains would belong to Jesse because this location was actually searched early on in the case in 2016. But at the time, it had been covered with water. The Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office later determined, though, that they were Jesse's remains. The bones were scattered across the property. It's unclear if that was due to the water or if someone did it intentionally. For many, this seemed like it would lead to answers, but only brought about more questions. The Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office was unable to determine a cause of death, which made the case virtually run cold again, at least until this week. On Tuesday, the Buckeye Police Department announced they arrested Crystal Wilson, Jesse's adoptive mother. Since Jesse's disappearance, Crystal had moved to Georgia. On Monday, police in Georgia arrested Crystal on a charge of abandonment or concealment of a body. Uh, we collected DNA from uh, her Jeep, statements made by Crystal, and uh, some technology and visual evidence that puts her in the area where the remains were recovered. Buckeye Police Chief Larry Hall says Wilson was taken into custody without issue, but refused to speak with police. It's a tough case. She knows what happened. She's not telling us. The onus is on her. Wilson believes neglect led to Jesse's death. But since a cause of death was never determined, murder charges have yet to be filed in this case. And while many are celebrating justice for Jesse, it's also left a hole for many who loved him. Jesse's biological grandmother, Cynthia Lauderdale, spoke during Tuesday's press conference, explaining that since Jesse's disappearance, his biological mother has passed away. God took her, and um, she's in another place. And what I see is that she's working behind the scenes. That's just my thought, that she's working behind the scenes. Her last Facebook page on February 7th was Justice Will Be Served. KTAR will continue to follow this story as Crystal Wilson's case goes through the court system. But for now... It's been a long road, and we're just happy that it's coming to an end. Another older headline that came back to play this week. It's been one year since Phoenix police officer Tyler Moldovan was shot multiple times at point-blank range while in the line of duty. This week, he, his wife, 
family, and the Phoenix Police Department are all celebrating his miraculous recovery. So far, so good. No complaints. But let's go back. On December 14th, 2021, many in the Valley and state woke up to a shocking breaking news story. KTAR Breaking News Alert. A Phoenix police officer has been shot this morning and rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital. This is a developing story, so details are limited. But KTAR's Jim Cross is outside the hospital and joins us now live. Yeah, Jamie, uh, dozens of officers here at St. Joseph's Hospital this morning, uh, 3rd Avenue near Thomas. Uh, Phoenix police have also put in a mobile command van here. The only information Phoenix police have released so far came via Twitter was that an officer was shot near 15th Avenue in Camelback. The suspect is in custody. So far, no information released about the officer's condition or any of the details about the shooting itself. Uh, We are being told by police that any information that comes out will be released here, but uh, no timetable for that at all this morning. Live at St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix, Jim Cross, KTAR News. Now, Jim, you went to the shooting scene before heading to the hospital. What did you see there? There are so many cops, it's almost unbelievable. There are dozens and dozens of patrol officers. You have uh, battalions of investigators over there, uh, two command vans over there. Uh, The shooting scene itself is uh, a block or so south of Camelback. It's on Pearson uh, near 15th Avenue. As the morning went on, details began to trickle in. Some reportable, some not. When you work with someone like Mike Broomhead, who champions for Valley First Responders, you tend to get a lot of details you just have to sit with. KTAR learned early on that the then 22-year-old Tyler Moldovan had been on the job for less than a year. He was relatively newly married and had been shot eight times, twice in the head. That morning, Moldovan had reported to a call of reckless driving near 15th Avenue and Camelback Road. Responding officers found the car described but didn't find anyone in the car. From what we know now, the man police were looking for was 24-year-old Essa Williams, who was hiding behind a short wall of an apartment patio just a few feet away. As we understand it, Moldovan spotted Williams and began giving him commands when Williams allegedly opened fire. After other officers heard the shots, they went to help and without firing their weapons, were able to take Williams down without additional injuries. Before I go into the timeline of Officer Moldovan's recovery, I want to note, at this time in 2021, county prosecutors were certain they'd charge Williams with attempted murder. But with Moldovan's life in the balance, it took a while for anything to be definitively filed. Since the initial court filings, the case has seen multiple continuances as recently as last month. For now, he is facing attempted murder charges. But now, back to Officer Moldovan. That morning felt tense in the valley. The incident felt like an obvious death sentence, and many felt the news of Moldovan's passing would come within days, maybe even hours. But instead, we got updates. It's been a week, but it feels like it's been a year. And But my, my message has been the same to everybody, which is, as Tyler's with us, we're going to fight for him. That's Brian Isset, commander at Desert Horizon Precinct. He said at that point, the family was just praying for a miracle. And at times, even his wife Chelsea was told not to get her hopes up. There were many people that said I was in denial, but I just didn't believe it. And so I held on to it and I kind of felt like the lonesome person sometimes. But now, one year later, it's clear the family got their miracle. In a video released by Phoenix Police this week, Officer Moldovan will tell you that himself. He says it's hard to recall the details of when he was shot. I really don't remember anything about that day. Even that week is kind of blurry. And it took months to even comprehend what had happened. But now, a year later... 
He's preparing to celebrate the holidays with his family. He even talks about what a long road it's been to recovery. Things are not as easy as it used to be, but they're doable, you know. Just take every day as it comes. But now, he's looking towards the future, hoping to join the force again someday. Because they're so supportive of me in this time, it makes me want to go back even more. I still want to do it. That's what I strive for. Now, if you're a parent, teacher, or avid news listener, you're probably sick of all the acronyms around education policy. But we've got to talk about the AEL. The Aggregate Expenditure Limit. Try saying that five times fast. Over the last few weeks, lawmakers have been calling for special sessions to vote on this. But first, I'll ask the question I know you're thinking. What in the world is an aggregate expenditure limit? If you've never heard about it before, don't worry, you're not alone. It's kind of like a budget cap, but on an already approved budget. I'll try to explain. Before the legislature comes to an end each year, lawmakers at the state capitol vote to pass a budget. The budget includes funding for education. Seems simple enough. But in Arizona, we have something called an aggregate expenditure limit. That prevents schools from accessing all the funding at once. According to the Arizona Education Association, the AEL was a constitutional amendment that was passed by Arizona voters in the 1980s designed to slow school spending. But now it's led to an annual spring vote to give schools the money that lawmakers already voted to give schools. This coming year, if it's not voted on, it could lead to a 17% cut in public school budgets. So some lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are saying that's not really a game they want to play anymore. So they're asking Governor Doug Ducey in his last few weeks in office to call a special session before the legislature reconvenes in January under a new governor so they can specifically vote to override this year's AEL. But one problem. Show us the votes. The governor says he's not calling a special session just to waste time. He'll only do it if it can definitively pass. But over the past few weeks, state lawmakers are saying they have the votes. However, when pressed a little further, Governor Doug Ducey said in an exclusive interview with the Mike Broomhead show this week that it's not that he's not hearing what state lawmakers are saying, but rather House and Senate leadership aren't pushing for it. What we're getting right now is a lot of yes, if, and yes, and uh, what we want to hear is 31 and 16 yeses. That's how you get to a special session. In a statement sent to KTAR, Senate President Karen Fan's office says while she supports the idea of a special session, her members wouldn't know the exact language in the possible bill, meaning it's harder to know whether the bill would pass or not. You may be asking, how could you not know what's going to be in the bill, especially since people are telling you why they're calling the special session? Well, politics, of course. From what we've learned on and off the record from multiple different sources, if a special session is called, some fringe members of the legislature may not vote for a clean bill. They'll only support the AEL if they can get something in return, say a voter integrity bill that changes some election policy. That's what has often been an issue with the AEL, that it's been used to play politics and used as a bargaining chip to get other possibly less popular bills through. With only a few weeks left until the new legislative session starts and the holiday season in full swing, it may not be likely that we see a special session, but the AEL will regardless be a hot topic at the state capitol come January. So that's it. You're all caught up for this week, the week of December 12th. But before we go, here's a look at what's ahead. The reality is that our immigration system is broken. Title 42, the Trump-era public health policy that stops asylum seekers from entering the U.S., is set to expire on Wednesday, December 21st. That's already next week. 
However, Arizona's senior senator Kirsten Cinema is introducing legislation to try to keep the policy intact for another year, while more substantial changes to the immigration system and the immigration backlogs are all addressed. Now that the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates for a seventh time this year, we could see another shift in Arizona's housing market and a slowdown of interested buyers. The long-awaited SkyTrain expansion is officially set to open next week, just in time for holiday travel. The expansion will connect terminals with the rental car area at Sky Harbor Airport. And this Sunday is the first night of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to all who celebrate. Remember, you can read more on all the week's top stories and get breaking news in real time on KTAR.com. You can also listen live on 92.3 FM or to take KTAR everywhere you go, just download the KTAR News app for articles, podcasts, and of course, breaking news. And with that, I'm Taylor Kinnerup. You've been listening to KTAR's Arizona's News Roundup. Until next week.